0: Welcome to the ABCA's Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Our next guest on Calls from the Clubhouse Podcast is Dr. Joe Eisman. Dr. Eisman has dedicated his entire career to the development of young people in the context of physical activity, youth sports, and fitness. His diverse roles have included strength and conditioning coach, professor, researcher, sports scientist, coach educator, and baseball coach. He graduated from Mayville State in 1993 and played in the tradition-rich program led by legendary coach Scott Berry. He has his PhD in pediatric exercise science and youth sports from Michigan State. In the past 20 years, he's been recognized as a leader in youth fitness and youth athletic development, publishing over 200 scientific papers and serving on several national and international advisory committees. He's also worked with USA Football, USA Hockey, and the English Premier League Youth Development Program. In this episode, we cover dynamic warm up and training recommendations, relative age effect, why he believes in no laps, no lines, no lectures, why he loves Scott Berry, his work with Volt Athletics, and podcast and book recommendations for long-term athletic development. Let's welcome Dr. Joe Eisenman to the podcast. We're on here with Joe Eisenman, Dr. Joe Eisenman, and Joe, I appreciate you coming on the, the show with me.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. Real pleasure to be on.
0: It was great seeing you on the youth stage, and you and I had had a couple phone conversations before that, and that's why I wanted you on the show was because of your, your youth stage talk. And You, know, you ended uh, the youth stage talk with a Frederick Douglass quote, and you said it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. What does that quote really mean to you?
1: It can mean a lot of different things, but I guess from a sporting context and from a baseball perspective, you know, I have a lot of great friends and colleagues who they are strength and conditioning coaches at the collegiate level. And right now they're seeing a lot of broken 18 year olds, um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, it could be overuse, uh, overuse injury. Uh, but it can also be related to, um, under in, you know, especially in the area of, you know, strength and conditioning and and physical development of, of young athletes. So again, if we can invest time and energy into developing athletes first, baseball players second, um, making sure that, you know, they are strong, they are mobile um, and they're injury uh, resistant, uh, it's going to pay off in the long run in terms of how we prepare and develop young baseball players in this country.
0: And is that what prompted you to write Saving Our National Pastime?
1: Yeah, I mean, my my entire lifetime has really been dedicated to the study and practice of pediatric exercise science and youth athletic development. Um, and given that my sporting background uh, is largely in, in baseball, um, having played collegiately and having coached in baseball, um, it was just part of a series of articles that I've written around this general concept of long-term athletic development. Basically, you know, what I do on a day-to-day basis and my strong uh, background and conviction in the sport of baseball kind of led me to that article.
0: You know, and and at what point, like, you know, was there an aha moment for you? Like, okay, we need to start to try to do things differently. And and we'll talk about prescription and some of that stuff. But when when was your kind of aha moment of, okay, we may need to start doing some things different with kids?
1: I don't think anybody's ever asked me that question, Ryan.
0: (laughs) That's good. good.
1: I have to pause and think a little bit because, again, you know, my entire life has been dedicated to this. So, you know, I've always been professing and preaching and, you know, coaching the coaches and training young athletes around these concepts. But, you know, obviously this has gained a lot of attention in the past decade or so. Um, You know, I'm an old guy. I'm 50 years old. I just had a birthday last week and. You know, I I grew up playing sport much differently than kids do today.
0: We all did, um, and, and I
1: I think we all I think we all realize this, but you know, definitely in this last decade or so, have we really started to gain a much better attention and appreciation of you know what's going on in the youth sport landscape? And in a lot of ways, it, it's almost a public health crisis. You know, like on, on both ends of the spectrum again, because. You know, we have a lot of overuse injury uh, because of, um, you know, either early sport specialization and or just the training loads and volumes that we're exposing these young athletes to. Or again, it's the underpreparedness. Um, and it can be the combination of both as well, which is, you know, really uh, a lethal aspect of it. So, you know, in terms of an aha moment, probably, I don't know if I've ever had one, but Definitely, as I mentioned, and I think as we all realize, it's really started to gain some momentum. But now it's okay, what are we going to do about it? Like, we've dug ourselves this hole. Um, so, what what are we actually going to do about it? I think we pay a lot of lip service to it. Um, there's a lot of documents out there, there's a lot of research out there. You know, now we have these long term athletic development plans by national governing bodies, including USA Baseball. Uh, we have Pitch Smart. Um, it, but again, like, what are we going to do about it? And that right now is my passion is that that's re that's reaching grassroots coaches and league administrators and parents so that we just, we don't, we stop talking about it and we actually start doing something about it.
0: Yep. And I was at a USA baseball clinic last weekend and I'm actually working one this weekend uh, for Rob Haney as well, back up in DC, but we had a trainer there and we did get into the long-term athletic development side of things and we were bouncing around and I, I gave you some props because we did talk about adding backwards, skipping into the, the warm up, and, and we'll get into that part. But for somebody that, that I, again, they may be late to the party here. If someone's going to explain long-term athlete development to someone, what does that mean to you?
1: Well, Maybe to keep it really simple, it's really quality physical education. Yep. Like if we think about a physically educated individual and that individual having a great movement competency, but also confidence in their movement proficiency as well that they can use in a wide variety of environments. And in a wide – that environment includes games and sports Um, as well. So again, it's getting back to athlete first, baseball player, football player, basketball player, whatever second. Um, so again, you know, I'm going to go give a talk this weekend on long-term athletic development and probably one of my favorite slides. And I showed it at the ABCA conference as well is it, you know, I, I use the analogy of school. So long-term athletic development is no different than school. So in school K, K through 12, we have all of our subjects aligned, right? Mathematics, science, literature, social studies, so on and so forth. Um, And we progress it uh, as we go K to 12. So we don't throw a second grader into differential equations or some complex mathematics course, right? There's this progression of learning the number system, learning how to add and subtract, and then advancing in our mathematical concepts. And you can do that for every subject area. So for long-term athletic development, the way that I look at it and several other sports scientists look at it is we have four main subjects, technical, tactical, physical, and mental. So at the end of the day, as an athlete, you can grade yourself out on those four domains or those four main subjects. How do you perform tactically? Your sport IQ, how do you perform technically, um, you know hitting, fielding, throwing, physically and then mentally and then within each of those we can have different sub we can have different units and lessons and again we have to progress those just like we progress mathematics and English skills and the other topics as well. but again we're what' we're, what we're failing to do Is pay a lot of attention to those that early stage. Yep, you know grades K through five or six, right? Because every parent and every coach wants to use that label elite. I have no stinking idea what it means to be an elite eight-year-old.
0: Hey, let me let me. how would you fix that? I mean, I, and again, that's, that's the initial part of it. What are you seeing? Uh, and, and I've been a part of it too. What are you, from your, from your point of view, what are you seeing that needs to get, that needs to get cleaned up at that age level?
1: Well, first thing is we all need to get on the same page.
0: Yes. Yep.
1: Um, and and it's going to take a top down and a bottom up approach. So top down let's let's start with MLB and USA baseball. And they're they're doing some good stuff. Yep. But some of it is not reaching the grassroots level. You know, you you were in the room when I even asked about the USA baseball LTAD plan. Yes. And there's unfamiliarity with it. There's an awareness issue. There's a marketing problem. And all the other NGBs have the same problem. All the other national governing bodies have the same problem. So there's that creating the awareness and bless your heart for going out and doing these um, coaches clinics for little leagues and stuff like you're going to be doing this weekend because that's what we need for we sure. need folks like yourself and other leaders in the baseball community to step outside of, Hey, I'm the high school baseball coach. The high school baseball coach can be a great leader in the community and they should be interested in this concept of long-term athletic development because what a high school baseball coaches say Oh, I have a freshman who can't throw, hit, squat, skip, right?
0: Oh, and injuries. I mean, if you want to have a successful team, if you can keep everybody healthy, you've got a really good opportunity of having a successful year if you can keep everybody healthy.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's getting all of us on the same page, but it's also getting down to those earlier ages. And making sure that we can get buy-in from those youth coaches and parents as well. Because, um, and I think I use this phrase at, at the ABCA conferences, you know, we can't microwave these athletes. That's what they want, right? Exactly. They to, They want to put them in the microwave, zap them, and hey, I'm great as an 8-year-old or 10-year-old or 12-year-old. And we're winning the league championship and so on and so forth is all league as an 8-year-old, you know. It's it's this process that we have to embrace.
0: Well, and you threw the slide up there. You know, a lot of that is age related and and cutoff dates with with when kids are turning certain ages. That that has a part of it too.
1: Yeah. So now you're talking about the relative age effect. So, exactly. Yeah. So for people who aren't familiar with the relative age effect, we have a cut point for you know if you if you can play in that in that league or not, and you know, oftentimes. It can be aligned with a birth year, so January one is the cut point. So if if I'm if I'm a if I'm a ten year old and I'm born January first versus born December thirtieth, there are three hundred and sixty five days between us as a ten year old. Yes, that that's a lot of days on Earth. That's those are days of growing, maturing, and developing. And so what we see with this relative age effect is we get um, a lot of individuals, young athletes. Um, who are on more select teams um, we're not talking rec league here we're talking more select teams yeah. now that are born in that first quarter um
0: joe let know. me ask you is there a way to fix that i mean do, yeah, is there because you're gonna have to have a, a common starting date are you not you know is, if yeah if you're trying to factor in age is there a way to is there a way to even clean that up
1: yeah, people have gone about it in different ways, and one really messy way is to keep changing what that cut point day is, so the same kids aren't always the ones who are the oldest. <laughs> I
0: right. love it. I mean, I can, love can it. Can you
1: imagine the mess that creates in <laughs> parents? Like, so, so that so that gets tricky. On the other hand, when we talk about selection, right? We go to a select camp, and Ryan, you've been part of this as as I have. These kids roll in, and your eyes go to who? Your eyes go to those big early maturing kids, right? That's for sure. They roll in and you're like, wow, I can't wait to see that kid get in the cage or whatever it is. And they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. So if we can identify, and some, some groups have done this by, you know, different colored jerseys or armbands and things of that nature, where we can, we can identify those kids who are born later in the selection year, you know, we can grade them maybe a little bit differently because we know these kids who are highly skilled, and they know the game inside and out, don't they? Yes, but because of their physical uh, stature, they don't do as well.
0: And I was one of those kids. Yeah. I, I realistically didn't grow you know physically until college. Like I was and even in college, I was still a little bit smaller, but the weight and muscle started to, to finally pack on after my freshman year of college, but it took 18 years to get to that point. Uh, And it wasn't for lack of trying. Like I had tried up to that point to try to put muscle on, to get in the weight room, to eat right. And my metabolism finally allowed all of that to, to get into place. Now I'd had some really good habits built up to that point. So when it did finally take over, I had some really good habits in place that, that allowed me to to get to a place physically, but I was way behind when I showed up in college physically was way far behind everybody else. Yeah. Hey, are there any, are there any national organizations that are doing some things right? Like if there's something that baseball can look at, if there's a sport out there, are there any sports right now that are doing things right in the younger age groups and up uh, from a training standpoint?
1: Yeah. So, um, I think let's first go across the pond and I have a lot of colleagues um, in England. Um, I'm an advisor on the English premier league uh, growth and maturation project. So it's, it's different than U S sport because those kids are in an academy. They've been selected to go to an academy. So they're basically professionals to a certain degree and they, they get top of the line care. Um, but they're doing some outstanding things in terms of the identification, as we spoke about with relative age effect and with biological maturation. Yep. Those two things are not the same. Sometimes people confuse them as, oh, if you're born early in the year, you're also an early mature. They're, they're, they're separate things. Yes. Right. Like, you know, biological maturation is you're an early average or late mature based on skeletal age, Uh, secondary sex characteristics, or somatic growth indicators. So I want to make sure that's clear for all the listeners. Um, So they're doing some good things with identification there and also using that information in terms of how they train them as well so it's not a one-size-fits-all exercise prescription and training prescription. And there's also um, some data that's coming out that shows as you're going through the adolescent growth spurt, um so for for boys that's around um uh, on average the age of 14 obviously if you're an early mature you're that's going to be happening at age 13 or earlier um that there's an increased risk of um injury uh because of some differential growth within the musculoskeletal system and tendon uh so they'll actually reduce training loads yep and if you think about what we do we start jacking them up around that time yep and, um, so they're doing some nice they're doing some nice things there. Now, if we come back stateside, I think in terms of long-term athletic development, USA hockey is definitely leading the charge.
0: Yeah. And I know you've, you've sent out a lot of really good videos on, on practices that, that hockey has set up that are good. A lot yeah. of free, free play for players um, yeah. in, in their practice times.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then I think the other one would be U S lacrosse.
0: Okay. You know and, and and you talked about microdosing at the at the the youth on the youth stage. Um, give some examples for people listening in right now when you talk about microdosing. Um, you know and and take us through a prescription. You know, if you're going to fix, you know, as you're walking by a little league field, you know, if you're going to fix what's going on right now, take some people through like how you would clean some things up that people are doing right now. And and you don't have to point, I don't want you to point fingers or name names. I just want you to okay. kind of go through what yeah. you would do and lay it out, you know, okay, here's here's what happens when they show up uh, to the time of maybe they get into some skill development side of it, but what are we doing before that?
1: Yeah, um, so first of all, let's just use a general simple rule here. No laps, no lines, no lectures. <laughs> and b- baseball in general can be really bad at this, and you, and you know it, right, yes. Lickie? We drive by the ballpark, and what do we see? We see kids running laps around the warning track, static stretching. And then, you know, what are we going to do next? We're going to play catch. We're going to do uh, infield-outfield. Then we're going to take BP, and one kid's going to hit, and everybody's going to stand around. Yep. And I, I made this comment at, at the conference. And if there's a lacrosse field near, nearby, those boys are looking over the fence, and they're like, wow, does that look fun? <laughs> I'm running around with a stick in my hand. I get to swing it like a baseball bat, and I get to make physical contact with other kids. Awesome! I'm going over there next season. But we can clean that up. No laps, no lines, no lectures. So let's start at the start of practice. No, la- no laps. Yep. So let's incorporate a integrated neuromuscular dynamic warm up. And all that means is we're going to get kids to move proficiently. We're going to teach them fundamental movement skills. We're going to teach them how to. Run, skip, hop, shuffle, backpedal, change directions, um, and we can we can integrate that within our dynamic warm up. And on the back end of that, then we can start building in some speed, some agility, and some power movements. So you know we can work on sprint mechanics. We can work on deceleration. Um, so now. I might be getting some youth coaches and high school coaches uncomfortable because they are PhDs in X's and O's of baseball. But when it comes to the physical side of it, the strength and conditioning side of it, uh, that's what that that's what that guy over there does, right? But again, if you're the only show in town, if you're the only coach and you want to get your kids more athletic, then you need to develop that hat as well. Exactly. So instead of going, you know, to ABCA and going to the stage where You know, all the great coaches are talking about, you know, more of those technical things. You know, why don't you get out of your comfort zone and go to a strength and conditioning conference and learn a little bit about that? And again, we're not saying that you have to become a certified strength and conditioning specialist, but at least learn some of these basic things about teaching kids how to move proficiently, a little bit about speed, a little bit about agility and power development. So, you know, in terms of the power development, we can integrate – you know, jumps, hops, plyometrics at the end of that dynamic warm-up. And if we, we do this 10, 15 minutes at the start of practice, use that term micro dosing. So the calculation that I used is if you're a youth coach and you have two practices a week and two games a week, that's four opportunities that you have every week. If you have a 20 week season, that's 80 opportunities. On average, if you do that for 12 minutes, that's 960 minutes. That's 16 hours of athletic development right yep it's not just 12 minutes because i've had coaches say that to me as well oh you, 12 minutes you can't do anything in 12 minutes sure you can and so all of a sudden i'm taking these kids and i'm coaching them right i'm not over getting the ball bag and cone set up or figuring out my practice plan i'm coaching for 12 minutes i'm coaching these movements just like any coach coaches you know, hitting or throwing or, you know, relays or whatever it is. You have to coach this element as well if you want to develop athleticism. So, again, several examples that I've done this. Hey, coach, can I have the first 10 10 or so minutes of practice? Yeah, sure. What are you going to do? Tell them I do this. Two or three weeks later, they come up to me. You know what? The kids are moving a lot better. Yep. Hey, awesome. Can I have, you know – uh, a couple days a week at the end of practice, give me ten minutes. Why what are you gonna do? I'm gonna do some more you know strength training kind of stuff. And again, for younger kids, this may be body weight, it may be medicine ball, it may be resistance bands. All of a sudden, now we're building strength, more strength as well. So those are some really simple ways, um, and efficient ways that youth and even high school coaches can implement you know athletic development into their practices. And then from there, I think we go into, you know, the no lines and the no lectures, um, you know, making sure that we have multiple stations, multiple repetitions. But those are also quality repetitions. We're not just, you know, swing, 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 swing to get, you know, 250 swings in. Yep. We're getting we're, we're getting quality as well. But, you know, we have multiple stations and kids aren't standing around a lot and not not to say that they have to be on the go all the time. Because obviously they get in a fatigued state, they can develop bad habits and things like that as well. But, you know, just making sure that we don't have what we see a lot of. And that's infielders taking ground balls and there's 12 of them. And one kid takes a ground ball and doesn't get another ground ball for another who knows how long. Right. Yep. And they're screwing around in line and things of that nature. I then, thought,
0: you know, Joe, I thought what worked great, my son Jackson, he's 17 now, but when he was that age, I didn't coach any of his teams, but I would come and and help run some practices just because of this, teach them a dynamic warm up, And then once we'd get into it, um, you know, you talked about the BP part of it. It was set up for guys to rotate after every batter. So basically on soft toss, and this is for guys that can't even, th- that don't need to throw like you soft toss to the kid. He gets four swings. On the last one, he's running to first base live, and we're playing that last one live. So a guy at first base then rotates to second, second to third, and third comes in to on deck to hit, and that's your hitting group. Well, the defensive side rotates as well. So first base is going to rotate to second, second to short, short to third, third into the outfield, and that way you're kind of limiting some of the boredom for guys. And it keeps guys moving. And you know, Jackson would be honest with me. I would ask him after practice, like, hey, how was it? He was like, It's great. I'm like, Do you want me to come back? And he'd say yes. So that's all I needed to know is if my son, because he's he's my harshest critic. You know, if, if we did something they didn't like, he was gonna tell me. So I thought that was pretty well run deal for them and kept him hopping and and it lined up some kids to, to really enjoy the practice side of it. And for coaches listening in, you know, I know there are recommendations, especially with the younger age group. Is is two practices two games a week? Is that is that good? Do we need to be practicing more, less games? I mean, in in your opinion, you know, what's per what's good for that age group, the younger age group? And then as we go up, if you want to explain that too, as we're going up levels and ages, what's gonna be proper for kids?
1: Yeah, well, obviously, USA Baseball has their practice and competition frequency scale, and I'm looking at it right now. So, you know, obviously, as in those younger, younger age groups, if we're in, you know, that seven to 12 year old age group, we have 75 percent practice, 25 percent competition, which is about one or two days per week. And I know a lot of coaches who are listening right now, they're falling off their chair. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know, really, but it's, it, it says it right there. I mean, it's no, it, it, yeah, it the does. information is there. Like it, it's it's out in plain sight if you go look for it. And, and if you really do care about the kids themselves, it needs to start going to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways that we can address this because sometimes it depends on level and interest of the kids as well. Yep. But again, the important thing there is of the kids, yes. not of the parent or the dad or the coach, right? But exactly. Of, but of the kids. And it also kind of gets around to the structure of it. And you you alluded to kind of the unstructured play and the unstructured nature of some of the things that's ha- that are happening at USA Hockey. And again, you know, uh, weaving it back into the no laps, no lines, no lectures, Think of the other thing that happens as we drive by the ballpark, right? We have the coach who has to lecture the kids for 5, 10, 20 minutes, stop practice, another 10 minutes of lecture, whatever. But, you know, you lose them after 30 seconds. So let's provide a little bit more unstructured play in there as well. Um, You know, let's come to practice and let's have a wiffle ball game and just let them get lots of hacks and then explore there and learn some social skills amongst each other as well. Um,
0: and for anybody listening in that hasn't watched In Search of Greatness, uh, it's an unbelievable documentary on uh, they interview Wayne Gretzky, Pele, uh, Jerry Rice, but they talk about the German national soccer team in there, and 90% of the German national soccer team did not play structured soccer growing up. They played in the streets and the alleys growing up. Uh, and, and what they've found is it helps with kids' imagination. So then when they are good enough to keep moving up levels, they play in space much better because that side of their brain, the imagination side of their brain, has been developed much more than a kid who's, who it's been coached out of.
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's great stuff. You know, and again, these are resources that we know. These are methods that we know are effective. But it's getting it down to that grassroots and getting those coaches and parents to buy into it as well. You know, the, the other thing, I'm kind of being a politician here because I'm not really answering your question. That's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but, but the, the other piece of this is, remember, we want to promote multi-sport participation. Yep. So, so part of this is the, in, the national governing bodies playing nice in the sandbox as well, right? Exactly. So if baseball says two days a week, that means, you know, Johnny or Jill can go play basketball two days a week as well. And maybe they go swim one day a week as well. So part of this deals with that ability to do multi-sport.
0: Hey, let me ask you this, because this is, I know this is what parents and, and youth kids, when is it too much? Like... Shouldn't we limit it to one sport a day because some of these poor kids are going to baseball, then to basketball, then to football, then to then strength and conditioning. You know, where is it? Is, is it too much? Um, you it's, know,
1: it's too much. When the, it's too much when the kid doesn't want to get in the car to go to the next place. <laughs> I mean, that's the re, I mean, it's the reality. We, we see this, too. Right. Like re, read body language on these kids and again for for a parent i know that can be hard because they 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 know they're trying to do the right thing for their kid because they're getting caught they're getting caught up in it and and ryan as educated as i am and as much research as i've done on this i got caught up in it as well i'm not
0: we all do as parents and and nobody nobody i will never point fingers at parents ever i'm a parent i know how hard it is you know mine are older now 17 and 14 I know how hard it is when they are seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven to to have those conversations, and and try to be the parents. It's difficult. It's not a. It's not easy. And and no one's ever going to say that being a parent is easy, but again, somebody does have to be the parent at some point, and and that's where you have to help, you know, your child along that path, um, because nobody else is going to help them along that path.
1: Yeah, yeah. No doubt. No doubt about it. I mean, there's, if there are, you know, coaches or parents who are listening and they're like, yeah, guys, I, I buy into everything that you're saying, but as we both have alluded to, Ryan, it does become really difficult. I, they're thinking to themselves right now, I'd like to do that, but
0: yes, exactly. And that's okay.
1: Yeah. And, 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 and part of that, but also falls on. Um, and again, you know, you said, we don't want to point fingers here, but we know that we have these facilities and these academies and they have to keep the lights on. Right. Yep. So my kid plays for an Academy and now they're having, you know, a hitting league and they say, Oh, he probably should come in for this special infield camp that we're doing. Oh, he needs to get a little bit faster. You know, part of that is the whole business of youth sports as well. So getting, you know, caught up as a parent in, in in those pressures as well.
0: You know, and that the In Search of Greatness talked about that as well and and what those guys actually did, especially Jerry Rice, Wayne Gretzky, Pele. It did talk about the other activities that they were into, Um, you know, and it was up to a certain point. And then really once they found what they were passionate about, then they they really honed in on that sport that they, they were passionate about. But they played multiple things and did multiple things growing up. Um, that I think obviously allowed them to stay healthier. Uh, but then when they did find what they liked, I think they, they knew that, okay, this is what I really like because I have done some other things as well. Yeah. You know, and, and use the term, which I, I really liked, uh, ramp. Uh, you know, you, you talked about raise, activate, mobilize, and then potentiate, um, f- you know, from a warm-up standpoint. Is there anything that we haven't covered that, that you want to add in on that?
1: Yeah. Uh... No, I'm glad you brought that up so when I was describing that warm-up yeah the it's called it's called ramp as as you just mentioned um, maybe the only other thing I want to mention is you know as as coaches you know begin to implement this uh, dynamic warm-up into practice and if you're going multiple days a week you know sometimes it's good to think about you know day day one is a speed focus so you take them through your typical dynamic warm-up uh, you know, m- movements. And then as you get to the to the end of that, where you're, you know, potentiating them and you're increasing the intensity as you go into your formal practice, you know, maybe day one is your speed day and day two is your plyo day and day three is your agility day. So you can, br- you can break it up that way as well. So at the end of the week, you know that you're checking all of your athletic boxes. Yep. You know, we want, you know, we want kids, you know, to be, to be doing, you know, some speed work, some agility work. We want them to be doing some lower body, you know, strength and power work. And then obviously some upper body pushing and pulling both in the vertical plane and in the horizontal plane. So if we can, if we can check, um, all of those athletic boxes and then kind of think about it, you know, across the week or even a two week cycle or whatever it is, depending on the age group that you're coaching, just so we're exposing those kids to all the different facets of athleticism as you go through that first 10, 15 minutes of, uh, of practice.
0: Hey, for a coach out there that is having to do everything with their team and maybe doesn't have as much experience at it, give some examples of some pushing and pulling.
1: Uh, simple push up, pull up Yep. as simple as it gets, right? Yep. Um, but you, you know, you can also, uh, do a um, inverted row, so you can take uh, you know a baseball bat and have two kids hold it, and the other kid is grasp on from on the underside and
0: pulling themselves up. Love
1: it. And pulling themselves up. Love it. Um, I, I think I think resistance bands are a great you know intro to strength training for, for young kids. Yep. So, so you can get these resistance bands, clip them onto the fence. You can do. You know, a chest press, you can turn around and do a row. Yep. Um, You can do rotations with it, a rotation and a punch, a rotation and a pull, you know, a variety of different, you know, pushes and pulls with the upper body with those resistance bands as well. And then obviously with med balls right there, you can get your rotate, you can get your rotational strength and power development as well. Exactly. Um, And just use, you know, like a plank series for core um, strength and stability as well.
0: When I was getting my master's at JMU, uh, my advanced coaching class, we would have one head coach a week come in, and Bill Walton was the track coach, not the basketball Bill Walton, but Bill Walton was the track coach at at JMU at the time. And um, he came in and talked to us, and and he made a a great point. He said, you know why kids now have issues with their feet? It's like most of them, from the time they're an infant on, have shoes on their feet. And I was thinking, I was like, you know what, I was – I was barefoot a lot. Even when I was in high school and we played front yard soccer, just messing around, I, I remember having my shoes off. Um, and, you know, again, is that something that we could add into the warm up? Can we have them take their shoes off and go through their warm up?
1: Yeah, that, that, that can definitely be done. Um, you know, it becomes a time-related thing as well. Yep. Sometimes we get time starved. So it depends on what age group you have. But, yeah, you know, not opposed to that at all.
0: Yep. And then you played at May- Mayville State for, for Scott Barry. Do you have any Scott Berry stories that you want to indulge? Uh, you know, executive board member, uh, Scott Berry's been a longtime ABCA member. Do you have any Scott, good Scott Berry stories?
1: Uh, I have a lot of Scott Berry stories. But, <laughs> uh, it's
0: ones that you can tell?
1: Yeah, but he, he, he has more on me, so I need to be careful.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, I, I actually have a Scott Berry story related to this whole topic that we're engaged in today, and I actually used this on a podcast last week. You know, I talked about no laps, no lines, no lectures. And, you know, I've I've coached baseball myself at the youth and high school level. And if there's one one thing about, you know, coaching and sport pedagogy that I learned from Coach Barry, it was definitely the no lines. Yeah. Um I mean you would walk into a Mayville State University baseball practice and there there were multiple baseballs flying around i mean in terms of the repetitions that we were allotted and provided um I would, it, unbelievable you know and i have several teammates now who have gone on and they're coaching college baseball or professional baseball and we we all talk about the same thing just about the practice design and structure that scott provided us was was phenomenal
0: and and I like talking to Scott. He's a great baseball man. You know, for, for anybody that's trying to play catch up on on long term athlete development, what books, what podcasts can they listen to, to to get caught up on what they need to get caught up on?
1: Yeah, so uh as as part of my um consulting I work for a company called Bolt Athletics. Yep. And I do a I do a, a regular blog on long-term athletic development. So, you know, if you start from the start, I, the first one is this kind of an intro and overview of long-term athletic development. And then from there it goes on to, you know, teaching some of these fundamental movement skills. Um, I do one on strength training. I do one on specialization. And then there's a few others in there as well. So if they go to the Volt Athletics uh, website and then to the blog, um, they can find that information. Um, in, ter- in, terms of, in terms of books, uh, I'm kind of looking at my bookshelf right now and, um, you know, kind of all this whole idea got started in, in the United States is there was a former Eastern European scientist, Isvan Balier who came over to Canada.
0: And, hey, spell that for me.
1: Uh, the last name is B-A-L-Y-I. Thank you. Yeah, and, and he's with a group right now called uh, Canadian Sport for Life. And they put a book out in 2013 or so called Long-Term Athletic Development. Um, it's, it's a bit academic, um, but you know a lot of things are really laid out there. And he obviously influenced um, the U.S. Olympic Committee and our national governing body system, so a lot of them have adopted that model. And, again, USA Hockey has done a great job. And if you go to their website, which is admkids.org, and ADM stands for the American Development Model, because we, uh, we have to be different, right? We can't call it LTAD. We're Americans. we got to call it the American Development Model. <laughs> so, yeah, ADMkids.org.
0: Not on it, my lawn. Not on my lawn.
1: <laughs> they have a lot of great information there. Um, there's, actually a, there's actually a book that's commonly used in uh, undergraduate curriculums for uh, individuals who are preparing to be physical education teachers. It's called Children Moving, and it does an outstanding job at breaking down these fundamental movement skills. Um, so that, that, that could be another um, good resource there. Um, and then uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention some of the work that I'm doing with the National Strength and Conditioning Association right now. And in 2016, came out with a position statement on long-term athletic development. So if you go to the NSCA website, NSCA.com, and then just search for long-term athletic development, there's resources there, including the position statement. Perfect. But again, you know, one thing that we need to do is, um, I mean, we need to get this information into the hands of those who are at the grassroots level who can make a difference in their community. And if I can just take a little bit more time, Ryan. I'm, yeah,
0: I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm,
1: I'm looking at one of my favorite slides that I put at the end of the presentation called system integration. So again, if if you're in a community and you're a community champion, and again, I, I think if you're in a smaller community, the varsity baseball coach, if we're just gonna stay with baseball right now, is the person to do this. So going downstream to your JV, to your freshmen, to your middle school, into your into your youth leagues. And basically vertically and horizontally aligning your curriculum. Um, and again, really focusing on fundamentals at the early ages and really taking heart to that, that practice competition ratio um, at those early ages. So we don't you know, burn kids out, have them succumb to overuse injury and really focusing on fundamental movements, fundamental athletic development and fundamentals of baseball as well. Um, but again, what we need to do is talk to the basketball coach and the football coach and everybody else in the school, right? The physical education teachers need to be on board as well. Like we need to have this lattice that is across ages, grades and sports. And if we do that, then we truly have an LTAD community and we can build some really robust and resilient athletes.
0: You know, and you're you're a fit guy so any any routines that you do right now uh, you know for anybody that's looking in you know from a personal growth standpoint or personal development um, anything that you're doing right now that you really like and you're enjoying move more
1: sit less <laughs> give you
0: know, some exa- give some examples of moving more
1: yeah so we've been on this podcast now for I don't know 40 minutes or so when I finish I'm gonna go out for even a five a five minute walk love it and part of it is I'm gonna I'm gonna process what we talked about as well yep. instead of just sit here and look at my screen some more, right? <laughs> like we, I like mean, we, we know that physical activity improves a lot of things, including, you know, cognition and executive function. So it's gonna help me work better the rest of the day. Exactly. Just five minutes, and yep. you know, for you, I think I'm gonna come back and do 25 push-ups as well. Just to pop down right beside my desk and do 25 push-ups, and I love it. My five-minute walk and come back, and then you know, I do. I get my, my quote-unquote formal activity or training in. I already did that this morning. I went in and, you know, I I ran some 400-meter repeats. I came back. I did, you know, I, I lifted. I did some hand cleans, and I did a push and a pull exercise. Love it. It's just, it's just every day. It's like brushing my teeth, right?
0: That's what I gravitate to in the weight room. If I am lucky enough to be able to get in there, I always just gravitate to a lower body and upper body push and pull. And I feel like that's enough for a 45 year old is, is to just knock those four exercises out and then move on to the next thing.
1: Yeah. But, you know, but, but again, the, that's just the, that's just the activity part. We need to be cognizant of even the recovery part at our yes. age, right? Yep.
0: Yep. I mean, the yeah, warm-up and the... Hey, I, hey, and I'm not just saying... I, I'm big on the warm-up and the cool-down. Yeah. Like, so there, there's always a dynamic warm-up for me, and then there is a post-recovery post stretch. There's always a static stretch at the end for me, and usually with with my yoga strap, is I'm, I'm taking my legs through some static stretching there at the end uh, with my yoga strap.
1: Yeah. I, I, I was going more towards sleep and nutrition in terms of recovery. I love... Uh, yes. You
0: know? Like, yep.
1: Uh, again we kind of fail to do that as well. And, and, and as coaches, like we're preaching this to our players, right? Yes. Hey, you guys need to lift. You guys need to do your conditioning. You guys need to sleep. You need to eat right. So on and so forth. But then what do we do? And we, we need to, again, this is part, this is actually part of long-term athletic development. It just doesn't end when you, when you hang up the cleats, it's got to continue on to when you're 40, 50, 50, 60 years of age because, you know, you're a role model. But the other thing is, I mean, you have to be, you have to be healthy and fit and alert to be a good coach as well.
0: I mean, and it's, and in the long run, it's going to save you money from healthcare costs.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, when, when, you really get into it, that, that's what it boils down to besides setting a good example and, and living what you're preaching, it's going to save you millions of dollars at the end because you're not going to be in the hospital
1: yeah
0: sorry we got on for a little bit of a tangent there but i love it and that's why i love talking to you and that you know, our first conversation and a big shout out to justin tool because you and i would have never got on the phone if justin hadn't recommended uh, you because you did come speak to the indians minor league teams and a huge shout out to justin and that's how baseball works for me is you know a guy who knows a guy who introduces you to somebody but then it's it's your responsibility to reach out to those people and I think baseball people are great as far as giving back. Anybody that, that's diving into this that wants to reach out to you, where's the best place to find you?
1: Uh, they can follow me on Twitter. Yep. Um, if, they're, if they're on Twitter, so uh, at Joe underscore Eisenman. So last name is E-I-S-E-N-M-A-N-N. Um, or feel free to email me. Um, so Joe Eisenman at gmail.com.
0: Anything else you want to cover before I let you go? And I appreciate you, you coming on, but anything else?
1: I, yeah, I mean, I just want to, you know, say thank you to you. And again, as you mentioned to Justin and, and connecting us, Um, want to thank you again for inviting me onto the youth stage at the ABCA.
0: What did you think of the What did you think of the whole experience?
1: Yeah, it, it was it was great. It's needed. You know, again, as we kind of talked on this uh, episode Um, you know, you can go there, you can go to the main stage and you can listen to pro guys and college guys. They're coaching a way different athlete than a youth or or a high school kid, right? Yep. And so I think the more we can do about teaching youth in high school and, you know, progressing these kids in a developmentally appropriate manner is going to go a long way. Um, they, they're all, they're different animals as, you know, as we know from the collegiate and the professional athlete
0: yes just go watch
1: and and we and we have to keep we have to keep that in mind i mean obviously if this long-term athletic development model works some of those kids are going to have that opportunity to to do so but again the other thing that we spoke about right if those kids don't get the opportunity to play college or pro ball they're going to be 45 or 50 like you and i and still appreciate the game and can give back to the game exactly can and can coach kids in the right manner as well
0: yep Well, great, Joe. I appreciate you coming on and and safe travels. And then hopefully our paths will cross here at some point soon. Absolutely. Dr. Eisenman and I unpacked a lot in this episode. Uh, There's a compound effect with long-term athletic development. It is the 1% better model. As a coach and person is the daily habits that you develop for yourself and the people that you coach. There's wonderful information out there if you're willing to go look for it, research it, and implement it. Again, at any time, feel free to reach out to me. If you have questions or comments, on email, rbrownlee at abca.org or on Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA. Thanks again for listening. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off from the ABCA offices in Greensboro, North Carolina. Thanks again, and leave it better for those behind you.